0: Welcome
1: to a new episode at Economics Design. Here at Economics Design, we focus all about fundamentals. How protocols work, how are they designed, and how do we analyse the health of these protocols. Today, we're going to talk about yet another stablecoin called Gyroscope. We're going to analyse this all-weather stablecoin called Gyroscope, GYD. As always, nothing is investment advice, everything is purely educational. We'll cover a few things today. What is GYD? The balance of power in GYD. Understanding the structure of the entire protocol, how is stability maintained, they have two different AMMs, so I want to introduce that a little bit, and ending with some opinions and thoughts. What is GUID? The three main highlights would be it is an all-weather stablecoin. It has this dual AMM mechanism to maintain its stability, which is quite different from other stablecoins out there. And something to note is that it is still in its testing phase, it's not launched on mainnet yet. You can go and take some test tokens to play around in the test networks. As always, we always start stablecoins by figuring out how do we classify them. Remember, there are four ways to classify these stablecoins. Number one, it's the mechanism. Number two, it's what kind of collateral is used to back it. Number three, what is it packed to? And number four, what is the collateralization ratio? The first part on the mechanism, it uses three different types of mechanisms. The first one is reserve based, it's algorithmic and it uses a dual token system. With a reserve based, it uses stable coins in general, and it's going to start with just stable coins. In the testnet, they also add ETH in there. So you can play around with that, but I believe when they're going to launch on mainnet, it will just be stable coins first. The ALGO mechanism is this dual AMM model that we'll talk about later. It's an AMM in the primary market and AMM in the secondary market. And lastly, it is a dual token model in which you have the GYD, which is the stable coin, and a governance token, which they do not have a name for it
2: yet. Most useful steps that can be taken, or certainly a very useful step, is to create some sort of stable currency that is sort of transparent and has like lots of the advantages that, you know, we all know for stable coins. But I see this as like a real kind of keystone in a more stable, decentralized financial architecture.
0: When Maker was originally coming out, here are these like new, complicated systems. In particular ways, they're kind of different from traditional systems, and so you can't apply the same models. And you need a new suite of models to sort of uh, to tackle these systems. And this is kind of coming out of there is now that we kind of have some initial models to start thinking about these systems. Now let's start choosing the right uh, design characteristics. It
2: is um, certainly reserve backed. The reserve ratio long run is supposed to be 100%. So that's like the target. Um, It is pegged to the US dollar, initially at least. So there are two tokens in the system, there is the gyro dollar itself. And then separately, we have the governance token, which is used to set system parameters, gyroscope essentially contains like two main lines of defense, which are used to maintain the peg. First is the all weather reserve. The idea there is that we take different collateral types, primarily, but not exclusively stable coins. And we separate these different assets into different compartments in the reserve in such a way that if one of the individual assets experiences trouble, by which I mean its price was to fall or if it was a stable coin itself, if it was to come off the peg, the sort of maximum damage this can do to the total value of the reserve is limited very tightly by the fact that these assets are in different compartments. The aim at a high level is to diversify all of the risks in, in DeFi to the greatest extent that we can.
1: What is the collateral based on? Well, the collateral is based on stablecoin. It uses a reserve-based mechanism. So the reserve is stablecoins. That's the main focus they're going to look at. Right now, they also do at ETH in the testnet, but I don't think they will bring it over in the mainnet yet because there's a lot of testing to be done, a lot of simulations to be done. It's safer to just use stablecoins to mint stablecoins than getting a volatile asset to mint stablecoins. Thirdly, it is packed to USD. It's soft packed to USD. It can vary a little bit because it's more algorithmic in the sense of the stablecoin creation. So it can fluctuate a little bit, but there is a hard pack, a hard stop in which how far the prices can fall. So that's a pretty good improvement to what all these other stablecoins that we we see out there. And it is more than 100% collateralized. So you've got different kinds of stablecoins to mint the stablecoin. The collateral for each kind of stablecoins, they're all very different based on how risky they are. So that is something to take note, not all collaterals are worth the same. Just like in MakerDAO where you have different vaults and different C-ratio, here instead of different vaults, everything goes into one big vault and they have different C-ratio for all of them. So one thing that I want to add into this entire discussion on understanding fundamentals is who are the economic agents in your ecosystem? Ecosystems are just like countries. You have citizens, you have different types of citizens, governance, institutional bodies. How do we take that concept that we understand in countries and put them into token-based ecosystems? Because they function in a very similar way. In this system, we have three major types of economic agents. They could be similar people, they could be the same people, but the function that they have, the kind of incentives and actions and the behaviors we want to incentivize are different. So here we're not looking at individuals, we're looking at the functions of these agents. So we have the gyro holder, so people who are minting the GYD. We have the governors, so people taking actions and improving the system because it's decentralized. And the third type is these yield farmers or these liquidity providers who will be making sure that arbitrage happens, making sure that the stable coin is stable. The price, it doesn't fluctuate so much. It's still maintaining that pack. So based on that, we have three different kinds of agents and the whole idea that we're going to talk about, the whole stability mechanism is to allow these three parties to coordinate and to work together to maintain stability of GYD. So the general users would be the GYD Minter, so they have a veto power to override any governance that is not helpful to the system. The governance role will then be the management of the funds, management of the collateral. The way to make sure that they are incentivized to do the right thing is that the cash flow returns are delayed for a period of time so that you bind them to make sure that they continuously behave properly. Otherwise, they don't get the returns that they're supposed to enjoy. And lastly, the liquidity providers, they basically help to utilize GUID and they help to maintain stability by doing arbitrage. So the first AMM I want to talk about is the PEMP, P-A-M-M. So that's the primary market, the primary AMM. This is where you burn and mint GYD. You will always burn and mint it quite close to the value of $1. This is quite simple by depositing your collateral into the system and then you get to mint GYD. If you want to get any of the underlying assets from there, you buy GYD and then you burn it. So this is quite a simple understanding. Now, the question is, as always with stable coins, what happens when the stable coin falls below $1? In this system, there are two questions you want to ask, there are two steps. The first step is thinking, is the reserve of more than 100%. Remember, each collateral is not 100%, each collateral has a different kind of ratio. So if the entire system is more than 100% collateralized, then go ahead, just take a dollar, mint $1 worth of assets, take it out, and we're good. There isn't going to be any like sell pressure on the system. However, if the system is less than 100% collateralized because it's so volatile and the market is not doing very good, then there are four things that you can do. The first one is you can redeem it at less than one dollar which nobody really wants to do that which brings us to the second point you wait for a while for the reserves to accrue yield and then pushes the prices back up to one dollar again and then you can redeem it for one dollar the third thing is in the future plans they're looking at allowing leverage to happen so you can deleverage in that case it becomes cheaper to deleverage which helps with the entire easing of the system and the fourth one is the auctioning of the governance token to recapitalize the system. So you sell off governance tokens, and then people buy them at a discount, and then use that money to help fund the reserve, help boost up the reserve. So if you look at the model, if you look at the kind of graph that they have, you basically have this redemption amount all the way until about you know 80 cents, where this is a hard pack, a hard pack in which this is the reserve ratio, the minimum reserve ratio is, for instance, 80%, so you can always redeem it at 80 cents. And this is the absolute minimum, it can't go less than that. If the reserve ratio is less than 80%, then this is where they auction off the governance token. The way that this line will push back up towards that one, the ideal goal is a straight line. The way to push it back up to one is the different mechanisms that we talk about. Either selling off governance tokens to use the profits to add into the system, or wait for collaterals to come in, or wait for more people to mint tokens and add the reserves into the system, or allow the existing reserves to accrue cash flow. So that's the primary market. When we're talking about opening a vault in your simulation, do they have to be the same assets or are they really an array of different assets?
0: When we mean vaults here, we're meaning this section of like the reserve portfolio. And one difference with Maker is that this reserve portfolio is kind of like the balance sheet of the protocol, so to say. And so if you're interacting with the primary market, and you're minting, you're increasing the balance sheet of the protocol. If you're redeeming, you're decreasing the balance sheet of the protocol, but also like changing the other side of uh, of liabilities in that case. And each vault then is designed to be having risks in any assets or protocols that are used within that vault. So for instance, you might have one vault that is like providing liquidity between a couple stable coins in a curve or balancer pool or something. But it's designed in a way so that... The risks of, in this case, Curve or Balancer and these stablecoins is contained to that vault or that pool, and so that other vaults don't carry the same risks. And so, for instance, if USDC was in one of these vaults and USDC was undergoing a censorship problem, then it wouldn't cascade into the other vaults because the other vaults don't have USDC or their exposure to USDC is quite contained.
1: So the entire ecosystem runs as an aggregated collateral ratio or aggregate reserve ratio instead of individual users' reserve ratio. Right. One key thing when we talk about stablecoins, when it's above $1, it's easy. You just mint more. But when it goes below $1, that's where the risk happens. And that's where a lot of these protocols fail because they didn't calculate that well enough. So what are the different mechanisms that you have in Gyroscope to help the protocol maintain that $1 pack?
0: The first main one... Is this all weather reserve portfolio? And the idea is that whenever you're minting a new gyro dollar, you are expanding the balance sheet <laughs> of the protocol by about a dollar. And this all weather reserve is then designed to tackle this question of how do we keep that as close to a dollar as possible? And that's why we've sort of designed this as this all weather portfolio. But that's basically to the extent possible guaranteeing that there is some sizable value left of that dollar should it be needed for redemptions later. And so that's what we mean by like the first line of defense. Ideally, nothing in the reserve portfolio actually breaks and it's always 100% reserved or slightly more because it's earning yield in various ways. But then it's prepared in case parts of that portfolio do break. And that's where these second and and there are also like tertiary lines of defense beyond the second line of defense. Well, that's where they come in.
1: You mentioned that the tokens will be earning yield. Where will they be earning yields from?
0: This reserve portfolio is designed in a way where first, as we mentioned, there's sort of like segmented risks, but then within those segmented risk vaults, the assets are deployed in some way or potentially in some vaults, maybe not in all vaults, but deployed in ways that are sort of like increasing the expected value of the uh, reserve over time. And so, one example is to some degree, you might want to be depositing in things like Compound and Aave. To other degrees, you also might want to be providing liquidity between stablecoins that have similar risks, so custodial stablecoins in particular here. There are other ways that may evolve in the DeFi space in general, so that will connect with the, uh, the governance role going forward, is that this reserve portfolio probably should change over time. That's kind of the main task of governance.
1: How is the PAM different from redeeming the underlying reserve assets?
0: Is redeeming the underlying reserve assets, but it's the question of what is the price of redemption. And the PAM is basically autonomously running a monetary policy, so to say. as hyperparameters that are being guided by governance, but in the long term, we'll suppose those are sort of like slow management decisions. And with a given set of hyperparameters, it then tells you what the redemption rate should be depending on the health of the system.
1: With USDC, every one dollar, you can always redeem for one US dollar, which is the underlying reserve. Whereas on gyroscope, it is not that one-to-one relationship is not fixed. This one-to-one relationship is actually defined mathematically in the PEM, in which one gyroscope dollar can be used to redeem one dollar worth of reserves, or slightly less, depending on what the PEM actually dictates.
0: That's more or less correct. I would add one thing about the USDC thing. It is this explicit $1 redemption in USDC, up until the point where maybe USDC doesn't actually have those assets backing it, or maybe it has some in risky assets, as we're seeing recently. And so you're kind of putting the the primary market power in the hands of Circle and sort of trusting that indeed it will remain at that dollar level. But instead, in Gyroscope, this is occurring on-chain, and so you can fully understand transparently what's going to happen in all possible circumstances.
1: In the secondary market, the SAM, SAMM, that is where you can exchange GYD with other assets. So here, they create different kind of liquidity pools. That's where liquidity providers come in. Basically, you pair GYD with another token. It could be BTC, it could be AAVE, it could be UNI, it could be whatever tokens that you want to do. And this is where you can help to defend the peg via the secondary market. And remember a lot of these stable coins, they just assume that if the coin is less than $1 or more than $1, it will be even out based on arbitrage by the system. What is arbitrage by the system? It will have to rely on Uniswap or SushiSwap or Balancer or Bancor or Curve to help maintain that peg again. But what they're doing is to take this external risk or this external stability mechanism and bring it into the market and allow the users in the market to maintain this pack and to incentivize them to do that. So you can see that in the model, you have a range in which this is where the AMM has a mint and redeem quote. This is the range in which you will use to pair against the same AMM, the secondary AMMs. So as the gap widens, then the price range in which you can redeem GYD for another asset also increases. So this is where it becomes quite algorithmic. So what is the stability mechanism? There are four stability mechanisms in total. The first one is they use stable coins as collateral. So it's a little bit more stable. They decentralize it in terms of the different types of stable coins being used. So you can decentralize the regulatory risk, the technical risk, all the different kinds of risks out there. It uses stablecoin to generate cash flow, so you get cash flow returning in, which helps to boost up the ecosystem. It uses a dual AMM model to maintain the pack. And when prices drop too far, they mint the governance token and auction it off as a backstop. So to summarize, when the value of gyro dollar falls below $1, in general, it should not happen because of the different risk mitigation that you have in place, which is the all-weather portfolio. And should it happen, then this portfolio in general, it's going to be accruing different yields anyway. So if the value of the reserve actually falls, the additional yield should back the entire value up. Would that be the second line of defense?
0: we kind of like to take this behaviorally neutral sort of like assumption approach where we're not assuming that agents are gonna behave in whatever ways, instead of we're just like sort of putting out a system where maybe they do behave in some ways, but there's like sort of circuit breaker protection in case they don't. And so it's designed so that one, if there aren't sort of like big shocks to parts of the reserve portfolio, as in like all other stable coins remain healthy, so to say, then it's always very close to 100% reserved. And so if the price were to dip below a dollar, a closed arbitrage loop to bring it back to a dollar, basically. The problem, of course, comes up if you do have a sort of failure of some of these assets or platforms that are used in the reserve portfolio. And this is where the pricing mechanism of our our PAM comes in. So we've designed this PAM with several desired properties in mind. And one important one is that it's, basically impossible to exhaust the reserve itself. And so it's designed to provide some liquidity around a dollar depending on how healthy the reserve is, but it's not gonna do that to the extent of actually exhausting the reserve itself. And so it's going to have a circuit breaker in case there's too much outflows. And then it comes down to a sustainable level of redemptions, which you could think of as like re-pegging to like the sustainable level, but then providing a path back toward the initial peg going into the future.
1: One of the ETS style of redemption is basically one of the reasons why FAE as an experiment do not succeed as well. Because the disincentive of people not redeeming the full value of the underlying asset on the underlying reserve was a very negative trigger and people are not likely to come back again. Whereas in this gyroscope case, you have other underlying mechanisms to help sustain the price back to its $1 value this secondary mechanism allows people to coordinate towards reaching that $1 again. So how do you allow for coordination between these decentralized participants to allow prices to go back to $1 again?
0: First, I want to make a distinction kind of about Faye, because it fits into how we're thinking about this redemption curve as well. Phase design at launch with these like incentivized pool implicitly meant that their redemption curve was a very bad redemption curve and that it would basically go to zero price of redemption very fast, whereas as long as there's actual reserve value backing the system, there's no reason to actually do that. And so that is part of our design is essentially saying once you reach the sustainable level of redemptions, there's no reason not to offer the sustainable level of redemptions. Mm-hmm. And then the idea is that there will be credible reasons to bet on for re-pegging back to a dollar. But we want to stress, of course, that we take the behaviorally neutral sort of assumption here that, like, these are out there. It'll be up to people to decide, but kind of like the system is bounded on the lower end. Uh, and that's what the important thing is here. But these reasons why you might bet on a re-pegging. Uh, one, the shape of the reserve curve itself There's kind of like two dimensions of this one is depending on the reserve ratio it does shift the curve if the reserve ratio is decreasing because there are losses being incurred the curve shifts downward and the curvature of the curve increases the other dimension which is sort of like the level of outflows that are being realized pushes you either up or down the curve so over time if the level of outflows equilibrates you are moving the price back up the curve. And so there is a tendency to return to PEG. Supposing outflows do actually equilibrate back to like an equilibrium around zero. That's one reason. Another reason is that the reserve itself is earning a yield. And so the expected value of the reserve is, well, hopefully positive. And this means you might expect the reserve ratio to recover over time, which again, is that you're expecting the curve to shift back up closer to the flat line. And then there are some tertiary mechanisms that may come into play at various times. One of them is that long term, we envision the gyro dollar market being kind of twofold. One of them is through this primary market mechanism that we are building out initially. And another is through a leveraged loans market, kind of like DAI, and maybe actually integrating with DAI to do this in the end. But the idea would be that there's part of the gyro dollar supply that's coming from this reserve backing, part of it coming from people coming in with, say, ETH, making a, a CDP and minting gyro dollars against that CDP. And now, if you're in a situation where the reserve value of gyroscope has taken a big hit, which means that the shape of the curve has shifted down, and maybe it's trading below par because the level of outflows has pushed you down this curve. Then it's actually in the interest of people who have generated the gyro dollars through these CDPs that actually now it might be like a big crypto crisis and I want to deleverage. And in fact, I can deleverage at a discount because the gyro dollar is trading below par. And that deleveraging decreases the gyro dollar supply coming from the leverage market. And so it helps bring the supply back to equilibrium as well. The main idea of the SAM is that it's going to take the minting and redemption bounds of the PAM, and it's going to then split the pricing region of gyro dollars, which would normally be zero to infinite dollars, I suppose, in general. And it's going to say, well, actually, anything beyond these minting and redemption curves is very niche, and that's going to be priced by the PAM. And it says the only remaining region that needs to be priced is between those bounds, uh, and that's where the SAMs are going to be pricing liquidity. And so... You can draw the parallel here with Uniswap and concentrated liquidity. I think that's a good way to understand it. A problem with just relying on Uniswap V3 for stablecoin liquidity is that if you move outside of the bounds of that concentrated liquidity, well, you no longer have the concentrated liquidity and you're just back to whatever's on, on Uniswap V2. But here, you actually never move outside of those bounds because that's where the PAM is pricing things.
1: Something that you mentioned in your articles is that there's this thing called the governance extractable value. Can you mention what that is and how is governance in gyroscope different from everything else?
0: So by governance extractable value, we mean this potential perverse incentive for governors of DeFi systems to be either choosing parameters in ways that only suit them but do not suit the protocol or potentially like directly malicious actions to try to steal collateral or, or value in other ways. And it's a particularly a problem if you don't have sort of the traditional legal system to rely on to disincentivize this, so to say, because there's like a recourse mechanism. But instead, if you have like totally anonymous governors and DeFi, there really is no recourse if they decide to pull the rug, so to say. So governance extractable value is one, trying to sort of like localize where these governance risks come from, how big are they, and then... Ideally, how do we make it more difficult for governors to actually exploit the system in these ways? And so this has really guided how we designed the the gyroscope governance mechanism. We've kind of introduced several checks and balances around this governance system. There's kind of like two types of governance extractable value here. And each of these two mechanisms is combating one of them. The two types are kind of one, Directly malicious actions to basically rug pull the system. And two, sort of like short term thinking, chasing short term profits that may be good for governors because they can uh, sort of get short term bonuses from it, but means the system itself is sort of sacrificed in that there's greater probability maybe it doesn't survive into the future. And we really want to design something that's going to last uh, decades into the future as opposed to something that brings in sort of like short term bonuses for governors. And so the two mechanisms that we have devised to help combat these two issues are one, what we call conditional cash flows. And this is helping to combat the short-term problem here. And the conditional cash flows essentially says that, okay, realistically, like long-term, the system is generating cash flows and parts of these cash flows may be used to incentivize governors to essentially pay for their services because you do need sort of like various updates to the protocol over time, and you need someone who's responsible for bringing that to fruition. But these conditional cash flows are saying, well, okay, let's take these cash flows at the moment they're realized. Maybe some portion is diverted toward incentivizing governors, but they're withheld from governors until a point into the future and are only dispersed conditional on the system actually being healthy at that point. As a simple example, there are various cash flows to the system. Maybe by default, those cash flows are going to the reserve to bolster its value. And if in, say, a year's time, the reserve is still very healthy, maybe the portion of cash flows that are sort of like earned from pastimes could then be paid out uh, to governors. But if there are like uh, significant shocks to the reserve and the reserve is no longer healthy, actually, that should have been just, just used to bolster the reserve as a buffer in case that happened.
1: So it's kind of like dividends to shareholders. And if the company is doing well, and it does well for a period of time, then the turns or the cash flow will be rewarded to these decision makers who are the governors or the government token holders.
0: It's kind of like saying you're building a bridge mm. and your sort of like main payment for the bridge, maybe after expenses or whatever, is the bridge actually still standing in mm. however many years' time?
1: So where is this cash flow being accrued from?
0: There are uh, a few possibilities here, and it'll ultimately be up to the fully decentralized DAO to decide exactly these things, but some possibilities now are, one, the reserve portfolio itself is aiming to earn a yield, and some portion of this yield may be paid as something like a management fee, because it is kind of like a portfolio management problem to some degree for these governors. And then another is coming from uh, trading fees on some of these specialized PAMs and SAMs, mm-hmm. with the idea being that these are providing very high liquidity for the gyro dollar and other assets across the ecosystem. And some portion of that would make sense to go back to, well, by default, bolster the reserve itself, but then also portions of that maybe be used to incentivize the governors.
1: The last player in the game is your liquidity providers. How do they exist in the game, and who are they?
0: So the first liquidity providers might very well be the same, for many of the gyro dollar holders. This, this first player. The idea is that kind of at launch, one of the first speculative but still use cases of the system would be sort of like providing liquidity for the gyro dollar, which would be taking the form of taking one of these SAM positions or many of these SAM positions. And actually, the whole idea of these. SAM positions at launch is going to be that if you took a distributed position in all of the different SAMs, that this might be a very good money market type strategy, because the risks are all quite diversified through the gyro dollar system and the fact that these SAMs are kind of with discrete different other assets. And so it has this advantage that like providing liquidity to a common curve pool, where if uh, one of the stablecoins in that curve pool broke then basically you're left with only that broken stablecoin, which may be worth essentially $0, and so you've lost everything. It has this unbounded loss sort of property of of some of these AMMs. Instead, if you took this distributed uh, position in all of the different SAMs, well, if one of these things broke, your loss is quite bounded.
1: Just to clarify, with the PAM, it is just going to be with the smart contract, and it will be interacting with the smart contract. You don't need liquidity providers over there.
0: The SAMs themselves are liquidity pools. The PAM is... You can interpret it as a liquidity pool, but the liquidity in the pool is the reserve itself.
1: Because you're essentially paying a dividend. Wouldn't the gyro dollar be considered a security?
0: I don't think the gyro dollar here, because the gyro dollar is not necessarily getting a dividend. There may be something kind of like the DSR type mechanism over time, but then it's the same question of whether DAI is a security there. <laughs> in terms of whether the governance token is a security, it may be, it may not. It, it is really in the same class as these other uh, governance tokens, like Comp and Maker.
1: Well, some opinions. Firstly, a circuit breaker is definitely an improvement because we see this similar model in Phase Protocol, and in Phase Protocol, it's a great protocol. I talked about it many times, and one of the problems is that they don't have a circuit breaker. They don't have this way to mitigate these kind of external risk, extreme external risk. So this does that. The second thing is where a dual AMM model is great to incentivize arbitragers to rebalance the price, which is fantastic because you have direct incentives towards getting them to do arbitrage. However, a big risk could be if you want to auction off governance tokens, one of the big risks is front running, so this could definitely happen. If they can find a way to mitigate that, that will be fantastic. So if you're interested in more stuff like this, feel free to join our Discord, our academy and check out the book. The QR code is over here, just scan them and you can get the book to get more information. Thank you for staying throughout this video. If you want to watch more videos like that, go on to academy.economicsdesign.com. You get to watch them ad-free and we're going to bring up more courses soon. Till then, I'll see you next time. Bye.